Hey, how's it going, universe? Welcome to another edition of Zoobox Goes to the Movies. I'm your host, Sean. This week, going to be riding solo. Going to be all by my lonesome this week. And I was trying to think about what would be a good episode for me to do alone. What's something I could do by myself, basically? You know, I haven't really watched anything. It's been coming off election week, doing lots of live streams. Honestly, I've just been really busy. And I got to thinking. I got to thinking about somebody that I really like, an actor that I really like, and he recently passed away. Now, if you don't know, if you're living under a rock, um, one Sir Sean Connery just passed away um, a little over a week ago. October 31st, 2020. Died at the age of 90. He was born August 25th, 1930 in Fountainbridge, Edinburgh, Scotland. And uh, he spent his final years and days in the Bahamas. Not a bad way to go out. Not a bad way to go out. Now, everybody knows who Sean Connery is. He's an iconoclast. He's larger than life. He is one of these kind of original movie stars. He didn't always start out that way, though. He kind of, you know, he towed the road. He had to work really hard to kind of become his own thing. Even with the success of something like James Bond in 1962, that's something that, you know, could trap a person. He could be typecast, and he was always very conscious of that. So he has a really kind of eclectic career, a lot of really cool, interesting roles. We're going to get into some of those roles today, or tonight for me, anyways. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about Sean Connery. We're going to talk about his films. We're going to talk about his legacy. We're going to talk about personal remembrances, what I remember of Sean Connery, how he came to be uh, part of my entertainment diet, if you will. So, like, for me, just right off the bat, I am not, or wasn't at the time, as a kid, you know, you would think that the first thing you see of Sean Connery, maybe, maybe it's like James Bond, right? You know, I'm a, I was born in 1986. I kind of come into my own, you know, 10, 12, the mid to late 90s, in terms of, like, recognizing who movie stars are and having a preference for those kinds of things. And for me... Sean Connery was not really James Bond. He was probably Indiana Jones's father from Last Crusade. That's really kind of where I... Probably one of the first times I saw him. That and then the end of Prince of Thieves when he shows up. <laughs> um, yeah, he was Henry Jones in 1989. The Last Crusade comes out. And that's kind of my first visceral memories of the guy. That's when, um, you know, just being a kid, I grew up with the Indiana Jones movies and kind of by the time I'm old enough to even know what's going on, I have all three of them. I have the whole trilogy, the original trilogy of Indiana Jones, which is so crazy that you kind of have to say that now. But the original trilogy of films, and uh, I always had a thing for The Last Crusade. I just really loved the dynamic between Indiana and his father and, and the kind of larger-than-life adventure of it. It was the one that was... You know, the first one is probably right. It's probably the best one in terms of like objectively speaking, probably the best made of all of the Indiana Jones movies. But for some reason, uh, The Last Crusade has a little something special. I have a little special connection to it, especially even now getting older and having my p father pass away and like understanding what a big influence he was. I see a lot of my relationship with my father, weirdly enough. 
um, and the relationship between, you know, Indiana and Henry Jones. This kind of uh, combative mentor relationship that they have in the film. Because, you know, and, I, and after that, it's really more of his contemporary stuff from the 90s that I'm probably was more familiar with, you know, like Dragonheart or The Rock, Entrapment, <laughs> even Entrapment, you know. Those are the kinds of things that I grew up with. I mean, I watched something like uh, Dragonheart, holy shit, like a billion times. And it's weird because you just assume that you're just a big Sean Connery fan, like immediately. He has such a presence. Or he had such a presence, rather. That you just kind of, you just you just like him. Even if he was kind of a hard ass. You know, over the past day or so, I've been watching like a lot of old interviews with uh, Connery, which there isn't actually a ton of them. He was a pretty private dude. He's the kind of guy who liked to go to work, really loved his work, and then he'd like to go home and just kind of have his regular life with his wife and whatnot. And uh, so it's hard to find actually like a lot of extensive interviews with him. You know, he was such a big movie star, like people do 15-minute interviews with him on 60 Minutes, and that was like a big thing. It was must-see television. To hear him kind of reminisce about his career and whatnot. Um, I even saw his last one, his last movie, what ended up being his last feature film, which is unfortunate, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, directed by Stephen Norrington of Blade fame. I'm a big Blade fan. But Stephen Norrington, this was actually, I believe, his last movie too as a director. Um, he went out on that, and I saw it in a the theater. And I still remember it to this day. I don't think I've really ever watched the whole movie since then. But I remember being excited, even back then, back in 2003, that summer, being excited about watching a new Sean Connery movie, you know, which at the time he was a 73-year-old man. But there was just something about him. You found him believable, incredible in these kind of roles, even these more fantastical ones, you know. And like I said, another, another movie that I have a lot of memories of, a lot of fond memories of, is uh, The Rock plays John Patrick Mason. You know, this old-timer that had uh, escaped had escaped from the rock back in the day, and they need him to get them out. And he has fun with his kind of persona in that movie. You know, he knows he's... He, this is one of the things that makes him like a movie star. Like, he understands the dynamics of of screen presence and what that means and how to be serious, but also playful. And that's something he kind of established and, and developed when he was making the bond movies. Uh, you know, he took that character, the Ian Fleming's character of James Bond is way more hard nosed, way more, way more, even you could say fascistic, uh, it's kind of a racist. Like <laughs> he's, well, he's very much in line with, uh, Ian Fleming's worldview and Connery took him and made him a populist character, a character for everyone, a character for the world. And if, as you learn, if you go into some research about like the early goings of making like the first couple James Bond movies, a lot of that was Sean Connery's input. He understood that you needed to have a balance of things because there's a really hard grounded reality to the James Bond movies in the sixties, even up till today. But there's also kind of this air of silliness about them. And there's the gadgets and, and even before they got into the gadgets, I mean, just the character in the first James Bond movie, the first one that Connery was in, because I guess they had Casino Royale came out before this, but technically it's the first James Bond movie. As we know, James Bond movies was Dr. No. 
And the character of Dr. No is a comic book villain, you know? He's larger than life. Uh, and Connery just kind of, on a, just an innate, fundamental level, knew how to thread that needle. And somehow come out looking so fucking cool, you know? I came to the James Bond stuff way later. Way later in my life. I was probably already in my late teens. Actually... One of my friends, one of my high school friends, uh, T-Bone, we'll call him, he was a huge James Bond fan from back when he was like a kid. And uh, at the time, they were putting out all of the James Bond movies on uh, DVDs. They were having these box sets, and they were kind of an affair. And they would have like all the special features and making of documentaries and deleted scenes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he was kind of the one that really got me into the older James Bond movies because, like I said, I'm a kid grew up mainly cognitively in the you know mid to late 90s so um so he just wasn't my james bond it was uh what's the holy shit i can't believe i'm blanking on his name <laughs> oh oh my god uh brosnan <laughs> oh my god i cannot believe i'm doing this because i'm doing it live yeah brosnan it's late, folks. But Brosnan was kind of my James Bond. He was the one that I grew up with, that I had kind of an affinity for, that I um, that I identified with in, in the era that I lived in, you know? And Brosnan was always kind of a, a mix between Sean Connery and, um, and Roger Moore. I didn't really know that at the time. That's something you understand in hindsight going back, but... You, you really started to understand the influence he had, not just on that character, but I think just performers of that era and people that would have grown up with Connery. And him having, like I said, such an eclectic breath of work post-James Bond, you know, it's kind of controversial. You know, he ditches James Bond. They make a movie in his absence on Her Majesty's Secret Service. He comes back, does one more, and then fucks off again, and then ends up making an unofficial James Bond. Was it Never Say Never Again in the 80s? Kim Basinger's in that. She's the Bond girl in that. Uh, just to stick it to the Broccoli's, to stick it to the producers. It was very contentious. He had a very contentious relationship with them. It wasn't just a creative decision for Connery to leave James Bond. Like, right? It was also a business thing. You know, he felt like he was getting fucked. And he probably was, maybe just to a certain degree. Um, and let's just start talking about some of his earlier movies. Let's just go through kind of his filmography, talk about things. If I can remember anecdotes, I will offer them. Uh, but, you know, he starts his career all the way back in 1954. Uh, you know, he's he's just like an extra. He does short films, um, he does bit parts, TV movies. Like, he was a working actor. And apparently he had, you know, he had been in the military and gets out of the military and then just immediately with, like, no money in his pocket, he said he had 90 pounds in the bank, no checks coming in. He just starts auditioning places. And he ends, ends up, you know, finding some success. And he was also in, like, strongman competitions. He was a, almost kind of like a model, which is strange. If you understand, like, his persona, this, like, really masculine, larger-than-life kind of archetype of a man for his era... 
the fact that he would he would do those things i guess it just speaks to the different times we live in right you know because he wasn't like a, a bodybuilder type dude but for the time i guess he kind of was you know and it's not until he gets involved with disney of all companies he gets involved with disney he does darby o'gill and the little people if you remember that movie which is a movie I, you know i've probably only seen once or twice in my whole life and that kind of gives him a face gives him a presence and then you know then the rest is history he does he does some Macbeth. he does the longest day he plays private flanagan the john wayne movie the longest day about d-day and uh that's kind of where i guess he kind of gets recognition and then the stars kind of align he books dr no the first james bond movie even at the protestation of ian fleming ian fleming wanted like a cary grant type guy to play james bond he didn't want a scottish dude <laughs> he probably had some sort of mild con contempt for it to be honest with you but he was not a fan of that choice and he kind of like a he invents the role. He, he redefines the role. You know, the books had been around for a few years at this point. They were kind of established, kind of pulp, spy, noir, kind of like trashy but entertaining books. The kind of summer reads, things you read on the beach, right? And, uh, and then he just, he kind of just took it and ran with it. And like I was talking about before, like so much of what defines the character of James Bond actually comes from him and the collaboration he had with uh, the director, Terrence Young, I believe is his name. They actually kind of built the character that we know and love today. And that's something that continued throughout like his tenure as James Bond. One of the movies, though, that like kind of sticks out to me that because he was, you know, I think he was always had kind of a, an awareness of being typecast. And what that would do to his career, maybe even then. Because, like I said, I mean, he'd been working for eight years by the time he books James Bond, which is not a movie anybody knew was going to be the huge international success that it was. And it actually even kind of took a while for it to kind of gain momentum. Like, it starts in the UK, it goes to America, and that's where it blows up. It becomes like this big international success. He becomes overnight an international movie star. Uh, but he wasn't always just content with doing James Bond, even though he does Dr. No and From Russia With Love, like back to back, basically. Right after that, he starts looking for more interesting things. One of, of note is Marnie. Now, Marnie is a Alfred Hitchcock movie. It's the, you know, Alfred Hitchcock did a, a run of movies around when Marnie came out. Let's go back and see what movies, because there's like, a, what is it? He does, he does Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho the birds and then marnie which i think a lot of people and i don't know if i agree with this totally um, i'm not as familiar with the later hitchcock stuff which i plan to remedy at some point but marnie is kind of considered the last of uh classic hitchcock movies maybe the last like quote unquote really good one you know and it it showed that he had range and that he, he had he had chops you know he does this kind of it's like a mystery thriller psychodrama you know, he marries this woman who's like a habitual thief. She's got these psychological problems. And it's just kind of about their, the, the domestic drama of them having to deal with these things. It's been a while since I've seen Marnie. It's one that I am probably going to revisit in the near future. So look out on the channel over the next week or so. Probably going to be reviewing some uh, Sean Connery movies in honor of his passing. To give the man some honor. 
But uh, what I really loved about him, though, he obviously just really kind of loved the art form. He was always willing to take interesting roles. I mean, coming off of Bond, once he's like kind of done with Bond, like he immediately goes into a John Borman movie that I really enjoy uh, called Zardoz. And now actually I did a review, a daily movie review of, about Zardoz, well, I don't know, like over the summer, I think. I think I watched it when I was sick. I think I had COVID when I watched it. But, which is just like this weird allegorical science fiction <laughs> uh, fantasy movie where he wears, you know, the red diaper. It's all goofy. It's very, it's a very odd movie, but very unique, idiosyncratic, original. And he gives a completely different kind of performance by, but still maintaining kind of the essence of Connery. You know, he's like this big, like I said, this archetype for masculinity. And he took that kind of persona and doubled down on it in Zardoz in a really fantastic way. Because he plays kind of like this caveman type, the smartest of the cavemen kind of character. Um, and he just does interesting stuff like from then on out. Like that's and it's cool because it's so varied. He does so many interesting things in his career. You know, The Next Man, Robin and Marion, a fantastic little drama about uh, Robin Hood returning from the Crusades, trying to get Marion back one more time. It's a great, like, little romance movie. Uh, it co-stars uh, Audrey Hepburn, Robert Shaw. Great movie. Great, great movie. If you've never seen Robin and Marion, I definitely suggest giving it a go. It's a very sad, melancholy movie, but, but really awesome because it kind of... In a weird way, like coming back and like doing playing an older Robin Hood is 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 in a way like deconstructing, uh, almost like a Bond esque character because you have this character that is this legendary figure, this mythic figure, and they take the idea of that and they ground it and they want to show you the real person. Like it would have been really interesting to have Connery maybe in some sort of weird like. I don't even know, like uh, Elseworlds, Otherworlds type thing. This kind of they could have done like an old Bond in a vacuum. It would have been interesting to see like a, a Bond that is you know past his prime, maybe more reflective on kind of his life. They've kind of tried to do that with Daniel Craig in the past, or at least in what in uh, Skyfall and then Inspector. They kind of continue on with that, like kind of the aging Bond. Him being a little bit more self-aware of his of his position in the world and life, uh, but it would have been cool to have Connery come back and do it. I mean, Connery actually did come back and play Bond one more time. He did the voiceover for uh, from Russia with Love in two thousand five. There was a I think it was on all the platforms, but I I played it back on PS two. It's kind of a third person shooter. Not a great game. <laughs> not a bad game either. Not a, but certainly not certainly not great. Um. Yeah, so he's just. Uh, it would have been cool to see him kind of come back and be reflective on the character as an older guy and not try to be like kind of old man action Connery, which is not like I said, not something I have a problem with. I really like old man action Connery. Uh, like I said at the top, The Rock. The Rock is still to this day. I watched The Rock like a couple months ago or a month ago. Still like one of my favorite, kind of just entertaining action movies and connery is a big part of that he really pulls that movie together 
and there is an interesting kind of notion to it. I do like, especially in The Rock with the character, they kind of acknowledge his age. Granted, he's still doing all these crazy kind of amazing things, especially for a dude that's been in prison for as long as he has in the movie. Very physically fit. <laughs> but they do kind of acknowledge the weight of being that kind of person. So you almost get like a little Bond flavor there. Little old man Bond flavor. Um, and then, but he just does cool stuff. Uh, you know, he's, he does any, everything from things like Zardoz to The Man Who Would Be King, the fucking fantastic, one of the best movies ever made with Michael Caine, uh, directed by John Huston in uh, 1975. It's a great, great, great movie. If you've never seen The Man Who Would Be King, that is something I would put on your short list. It's a great kind of adventure history movie little darker than you would might imagine it being especially at, at its early goings and it gets it gets kind of gets kind of intense <laughs> um and then he will do stuff like outland which is this uh really interesting kind of science fiction movie where he's like a federal marshal at a mining colony on jupiter <laughs> and there's a uh, some sort of drug smuggling conspiracy that he has to go figure out another and, and it's a memorable role too it's a, it's actually I think, in my opinion, a little underrated. You don't hear people talk about Outland very often. So I would definitely, that's another one I would suggest. And then, of course, A Bridge Too Far, which I really, really, really got to revisit. Actually, I think I got over the summer. I think I bought the uh, I bought it on Blu-ray, so I got to check that out again. But the kind of roles you would take, The Name of the Rose, another one. Another outstanding kind of uh, crime, noir, drama mystery um about this friar who goes to this kind of isolated abbey and he's there's this like murder mystery afoot and then you find all all these different like kind of dark layers and then it even kind of bridges with the inquisition and what was going on in the time that the story takes place uh, another great movie another fantastic film uh, with one of the christian slater's earlier roles yeah it's a great movie ron perlman's in it it's really good. The Name of the Rose is the one of the ones that had a very big impact on me when I was a kid for some reason. I don't know why. I just really took to that movie. I think it was because, you know, I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic schools and, and like, you know, uh, I was taught by nuns and brothers and priests. And seeing kind of the darker seedy underbelly of something like that was just fascinating. And on top of that, just a murder mystery. I just really enjoy murder mysteries and Connery is, is fantastic in it. And he plays a really kind of patient, thoughtful, quiet man in the name, in the name of the Rose. It's one of his better roles in my opinion. Uh, it's not, you know, it doesn't have all the bombast and whatnot, but it's something that I feel a lot of people maybe, overlook in his career another one of those movies kind of like outland you know everybody always goes to like the man who would be king a bridge too far indiana jones you know those are the things we think of when we think about connery but then you know he'll do something like that and then he'll do highlander and then he did highlander too i just always really really dug that he he would do those kind of things do those kind of roles and i feel like it's probably something that had more to do with him just liking the people involved with making the movie than maybe actually the material itself. I mean, famously, towards the end of his career, he passed on The Matrix. Uh, he passed on Lord of the Rings. He passed on Gandalf. Yeah, they tried to get him to play Gandalf, 
which, you know, honestly, as much as I enjoy Ian McKellen in those movies as Gandalf, I totally would be interested to see what uh, Connery would have done with a role like that. 100%. You know? Although, I think he would have had a miserable fucking time making it. <laughs> you know, that the, pro- the production of the Lord of the Rings movies was pretty, pretty grueling. But the reason why he passed up on them is because he said he didn't understand them. Like, he didn't understand the material. He didn't understand what he was being asked to do, I suppose. Or maybe he didn't see how he fit into it. Which makes it weird because then a couple years later he does, you know, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Which is another one of, you know, a, a graphic novel adaptation. You know, Alan Moore's The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And uh, he plays Alan Quarterman. And, uh, yeah, that's not not a great movie so it's you're kind of just like wondering like oh i wonder what motivated that i have a feeling he's probably friends with a producer or something like along those lines another great fun connery performance is uh he did in 1998 he did uh they tried to kind of revive the avengers now not marvel's the avengers it's an old like british show from the you know late 50s 60s and 70s and uh he plays the villain plays the film he plays the villain in that movie and it's kind of you know a goofy send-up of james bond like things um if you've ever seen the series it's kind of like it's kind of like almost it's got it's like a more fantastical version of get smart if you're familiar with get smart that's kind of what uh the avengers kind of remind reminded me of and uh, the movie, while the movie is not, like, the greatest thing in the world, for some reason I have a real soft spot for it. I have a real affinity for it. And Connery plays this bad guy who's trying to control the weather. And uh, there's a few scenes where he's in, like, a giant bear costume. It's very surreal. and But it's a lot of fun, and he's a lot of fun in it. So while the movie itself maybe not great, Connery is totally worth checking it out for. 100%. Um... Yeah. Yeah. So many good roles. So many cool stuff like The Hunt for Red October. I mean, come on, The Russia House, another great one. Uh, who can forget Medicine Man? <laughs> actually, you know what? I don't think I've ever actually watched Medicine Man. John McTiernan movie, too. I bet you it's probably entertaining. Sean Connery and Lorraine Bracco. You know who Lorraine Bracco is. You're like you like Goodfellas? You like The Sopranos? There you go. Drink a little tea there for you. Late at night here. A little sleepy night. Sleepy time tea. Yeah, he's just a... He's a cool dude, man. (laughs) It's just... He has such a... And like I said, this is what I respect about him so much. Because he was, you know, kind of this untouchable movie star. But he also seemed very down to earth. Especially when you watch interviews with him. He has a pretty... Like, he gets the game, and he's having fun, but there is a sense of groundedness and humility that comes out of Sean Connery. You know, he came from kind of a rough upbringing, came from kind of a rough area, and a place that he actually really cared about in Edinburgh, Scotland, you know? Because he would always go back. He was always trying to pour money into the town he came from, trying to build it back up. Make it not so bad for the people that live there. You know, invested in businesses and, you know... uh, I think a lot of stuff in the arts, he always had a mind to it, which is, which is rare. You know, I was watching an interview with him. He's like, you know, that's what makes the world go round is when you get out of where you're from. 
because when you're doing it, you're just getting on. You don't have any larger frame of reference. You don't, you don't know how bad your circumstances are. It's not until you get out, but it's those that choose to go back and make those places better uh, that really are impressive. And maybe you're trying to do something with the little bit of juice they have in the world, the little bit of ephemeral fame and, and money and whatnot. But I always really liked that about him. And it really comes through kind of just, he's just like a normal dude, which is surprising, you know? I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe I, that could be completely wrong. That could be all for the cameras, for interviews. But he's just kind of like very unassuming. Which I don't know, you know? Sometimes you just think about these people and you're just like, oh, they must be really intense. But he never really, he doesn't really come off that way. And he has a good kind of acerbic wit good sense of humor about himself and his life. Actually, his the interviews uh, remind me a little bit of uh, Harrison Ford interviews. If you watch Harrison Ford interviews, like late night talk shows and stuff, they are incredibly entertaining because uh, <laughs> Harrison Ford does not give a fuck because he knows he's Harrison Ford. He's like doing you a favor by being on your show. You know, I don't even just, does Harrison Ford really need to go on the press circuit to get you to go see a Harrison Ford movie? Especially in like the 90s and the 2000s. Well, I don't know, maybe. But he always has a good sense of humor about himself. Makes jokes. Says caddish things. Acerbic wit, like I said. Good stuff. And it's it's just a really... A, a really great reminder of... Uh, of the talent of some... Just the natural presence that some people just have. They just have it. They just have this juice. You know, that's why there's, you know, there's movie stars and then there's actors, you know. You know, he has that same kind of quality. And I know that, you know, it's probably contentious because some people like him, some people don't. But like Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is just like a movie star. And I always liked that uh, Sean Connery always kind of just played a version of himself. Like he would refuse to do other accents. And he did that because he had such a profound love and respect for Scotland. And like a lot of what he did, he thought he was bringing honor to his country. So even when he's in like, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Hunt for Red October. He wouldn't do a Russian accent. <laughs> Just wouldn't do it. He, he says, listen, uh, emotions are universal. Like it doesn't matter what my accent is. So I don't know if that's, you could say laziness on his part. I don't think so though. I think he really had like kind of a, a methodology behind it. And he had a, he had some sort of, sense of what he wanted to accomplish with his accent i mean how cool would that be if you were you know just like every day you know people talk about representation and whatnot you know if you're a poor kid from edinburgh fuck have sean connery up there on the screen speaking in your like kind of your affectation from the place that you're from hell yeah why not right um yeah, I mean, I guess this might be kind of a little short, short episode, a little short tribute to the man. But, you know, I have a lot of fond memories of Sean Connery. And it's just one of those things you don't even realize, like, how much he's permeated your sense of the movies until they're gone, kind of, you know? You know, I'm not going to say he went before his time. He was 90 years old. That's a pretty good run. And he got to die in the Bahamas. Even better. <laughs> And I know a lot of people, like, you know, as soon as he died, like, people want to skewer him a little bit. They want to talk shit about him. Because he gave an interview with Barbara Walters 
famous interview, famous clip from the interview, where he talks about his feelings of uh, men and women and their places and uh, whether or not you can hit a woman. And he's definitely very old-fashioned. But he's not from, like, our culture. (laughs) And it's weird because, you know, he got famous and then kind of just fucked off. Like, he was living in Spain for the vast majority of his adult life. So he's not even, like, connected to the way things progress or the way people think. You know, he would he would do his, make the movies, and then he would go back home. You know? I don't know how Miss Connery, Mrs. Connery felt about him, but uh, she stayed with him until the end, I believe. But, you know, I mean, I, I imagine you look into any older actor's life, you're probably going to find things like that, you know? And does that sully his entire reputation, his career? Eh, not really. I mean, that's just a very current year type thing. Where everybody feels like everything you've ever done is like uh, is static. You know, the internet has created this environment. Everything you've ever done just happened. You know, you could write something incendiary a decade ago, and somebody could bring it back up today, and they want you to respond as if you're the same person, you know? It's a little... Is tiresome, I would say, and not really fair either. But you know, that's my opinion. Not that I'm defending, you know, hitting women because I don't want it to sound that way because I'm not. <laughs> I'm very, you know, I'm going to take the controversial stance that, that you shouldn't hit. Well, you shouldn't hit people in general, but men shouldn't hit women and vice versa. Very controversial. Very, you know, I know, I know, kids. I'm really on the razor's edge here. Um, what else can we say about Sean Connery? Just a mensch. Just a mensch. Yeah, but it's like I was saying, like you just don't even really think about it until they're gone. And maybe that's just because just, they're just so, such a, a part of the architecture of movies. You know? And he's got so many, like I said just such an eclectic body of work he would seem like he was just down for anything and he doesn't and you don't think about him that way though you don't think about him as this kind of like creatively adventurous fun loving dude but i think he i think the proof is in his work you know if you look at his filmography i mean you don't make zardoz if you don't have a sense of fun about you <laughs> You know, ironically, Zardoz uh, was made because John Borman wanted to make a live-action Lord of the Rings, and uh, it all fell apart at the last minute. So he ends up making Zardoz, which is ironic because, you know, Connery's in Zardoz, but passed on Lord of the Rings in the 90s. It would have been interesting. He'd been an interesting Gandalf. I could see there, because he's got the presence and stuff, but, you know... As much as I love Connery, as much as I would be interested to see that, I think it was almost better suited to Ian McKellen because Ian McKellen really kind of uh, lost himself in the role, really kind of enveloped it. Where Connery would have been Connery. It would have been like Gandalf asterisk Connery. It would not have been like the full envelopment of the character. So I will say that. You know, he knew what he liked and he knew what he didn't like. And maybe that maybe that's a good thing. Maybe he thought about that. Maybe he's just like, yeah, you know, because it's like as big of a star as he was, he had kind of a 
character actory presence and life in terms of the roles he did, you know, post Bond. Very kind of cool. Kind of cool. I don't think uh, people really think about him that way as being a character actor. But he kind of was, you know, when you go through his filmography. A lot of kind of just eclectic roles. A lot more than I think you would you imagine in your mind's eye when you think about him. You think of him as Bond. You maybe think about, about him as Indiana Jones' dad. Maybe The Rock if you're a certain age. You know, the man who would be king, certainly. But there's some there's some crazy wild swings in his career. Um, I can say it again, Zardos. I mean, that's a fucking... I don't know how he must have. I mean, John Borman seems like a really nice dude because he made some made some movies, made some out there stuff. Yeah, I'm going to look forward to this week, probably going through some um, of Connery's filmography, going to pick some weird ones, maybe some out there ones, maybe some uh, not as famous or popular ones. Maybe talk about those uh, throughout the week. And that should be interesting. It should be fun. It'll be fun like to revisit some of this stuff. I was hoping to revisit some before I sat down and recorded this, but I'm trying to get the show back on a relatively normal schedule after taking October off. I was just like, well, you know, let's just come vamp. Let's just talk about Connery. Let's just uh, reminisce a little bit. And that was fun. And it's made me, honestly, it just makes me want to go watch Connery movies. So I probably will. It's probably what's going to happen. Probably going to watch some Connery movies this week. It's going to be great. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about Zoobox, there's a bunch of links in the description for Facebook, for Instagram, for my Twitter, for Dan's Twitter. Also, if you'd like to make a recommendation for a random movie review or even something for the big show, Zoobox goes to the movies, please let me know. Uh, and then hopefully next week we'll be back somebody having a fantastic wonderfully deep conversation we'll see how it goes hopefully you won't have to suffer through me babbling for 40 fucking minutes but uh yeah we got to do it we got to get it done so that's what's going to happen anyways rest in peace good sir thanks for uh being part of my life in a weird way your art and your effort affected me salute Goodbye.